Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. We are in the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 6, and chapter 6 is one of those chapters that you can go on and on and on with. And so what we're going to be doing this morning is we're just touching the top of the iceberg. We're not even getting to the meat of spiritual warfare this morning. We're just hitting the bases. And so um, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12 is where we're going to be. So three verses. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For do not, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay, so the Christian walk, the Christian life is spiritual warfare. Okay, if you are a believer this morning, you know this to be true, that when you enter into the warfare, when you enter into faith, when you become a Christian, you enter into a battle. A.W. Tozer said that the Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battleground. And so, like, I want you to think about this, though. If you do not find yourself in a spiritual war right now, if you find everything to be easy and everything's kind of going your way and there's no pushback, there's no attack, there's, there's no pressure that everything you do is like, this is just, you can just kind of relax and chill. My guess is, and I'm just going to let you know, my guess is you are not in the battle. Okay? Because when you're in the, when you're, when you are walking in faith, when you're actually operating in the kingdom, Satan is going to come after you hard. He's going to come after you because now you become a threat to his purposes and his mission. You know, I, 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 um, I had a dream a couple of days ago. This is, I think this goes with it, but I had a dream and it was one of those dreams. It was actually Friday night going into Saturday. And the whole dream was, um, I was hanging out with my wife and other people and, um, we walk into this, church the mormon mormon church and i was in the mormon church and all of a sudden i felt the holy spirit just pouring into this place into me and i look up and i'm like god this is like like, like never before i felt the movement of the spirit and, and literally there was like a light just i don't know what the light the light was dangling and i'm like i could do anything in the power of the spirit like the spirit is so real i'm like light fall no the light just falls and crumbles and i'm like the spirit's moving the spirit so i get up in my dream i literally get up in my dream and i just start speaking and out of my mouth is the tongues of hebrew i start screaming hebrew at the whole church 
And somebody in the back corner, everybody's like, he's speaking, he, he's speaking nonsense, he's of the devil. And somebody in the back room says, no, he's speaking Hebrew, I speak fluent Hebrew. What he's speaking is a rebuke against this church that God is moving, and this is a rebuke against this church and the doctrines here. And I woke up that night, and what God said to me, clear as day, he said, you're not going to see my power and my authority until you get into the battle. He said, if you want to see me move, it's not going to be in the comfort of your couch. You've got to get in the battle. You've got to take leaps of faith. You've got to step out to where I have to move in order for me to move. Because I'm not going to move while you're in your safety and your comfort. Because man will take glory and man will take credit. You have to get out. Get in the battle. Okay, so I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm supposed to move to Utah. That's what Savannah said. Uh, like, All right, let's do it. There's nothing in Utah. There's no water in Utah. Um, but we've been going through Ephesians, and, and, and this is now we're in the spiritual warfare. But if you've been with us, what we've learned, and this is really important, this is a good foundation before we even jump into spiritual warfare. What Paul has said thus far, he has said that we as a people need to first sit, sit in our inheritance, sit in who we are, our identity. Because if you don't sit in your identity as children of God, that you have been redeemed. That he, like, he called it like a, is a slave market where the father says, I choose you, right? The father says, I want you. I want Don. We don't know why, but he says, I want Don, okay? And, and Don was a dead, he was a dead slave. Like, he was just a dead trout. Remember, he's just floating down the stream, going along with the world. And God's like, I want him. The problem is Don costs money. He costs something. And so God's like, I'm gonna, I want him, but I got to buy him. So I'm going to take the blood of my son. That's redemption. I'm going to redeem him, purchase him out. And because he is now mine, I'm going to take the seal of my spirit so nobody can touch him. Nobody can claim him. Nobody can accuse him. The accuser of the brethren cannot accuse Don anymore because I have put my Holy Spirit as a mark on him that lets everybody know he is mine. Until the day of redemption. That's what the Lord says. That's what Ephesians says. That's what Paul is saying. Is that now you sit in that inheritance. You sit in that calling. That you are a priest. You don't need a priest. You don't need me to be a priest. If you want to call me priest, that's fine. Go ahead. Call me father. Call me padre. Call me papa. I don't care. But I'm not your daddy. Okay? I'm not your, I'm not your abba. I'm not your papa. I'm not your priest. I'm not, I am, I am a fellow brethren of God who has the calling or the gift of preaching. That's it. I'm not a, I'm not a higher priest or a higher saint. You are a priest. You are a saint. You are sanctified. You are holy. You are set apart. And until you dwell in that and sit in that and walk in that calling, that's what you're called to be. And then when you're called to that and you sit in that and you rest in that and you know that, not just here, but you know that you experience that, then Paul says, now get up and go walk. So once again, we're not, we're not monks. We don't sit up in the monastery and say, we're just going to sit in our calling. You know, you know we, 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 nobody, let's not talk to nobody. Paul says, no, you sit in your calling and then you get up and now you walk according to your calling. Now, first thing he says, now you walk in unity. He says we're going to be one in the church, one in the body. 
So if you come into the body and you come in like, oh, I'm going to come in with this, this attitude of it's all about me, pride, right? Pride is going to destroy the church. I'm going to come in. It's going to be about me. Do they have the right child care? Are they singing the right songs? Are they doing, did somebody greet me the way that I'm supposed to greet? You know, what, what kind of, you know, small groups do they have? Are, are they doing everything that I want them to do? And, and you know what? If somebody talks to me wrongly, I'm going to have an issue. It's this kind of Walmart versus Kmart mentality. If we please you enough, you're going to come in. Oh, that's great. You guys did everything I want. And then when somebody else does more, oh, I'm going to go to that place because, you know, that's why Kmart went out of business, y'all, because Walmart did more. All right. Walmart sold fish and Kmart didn't. You remember that? And that's what's happening. And the Bible says, no, no, no. we're going to be one. Walk in your calling. And the first thing is unity, humility, walk in gentleness, walk in meekness, so that we're not as a denomination dividing over the color of the carpet. We're walking in peace and oneness. And then he says, now walk in purity. So not only walk in unity based off of who you are in Christ, walk in unity, but then he saw walk in purity. That, this, that the life of a believer is different, is holy, is pure. I feel like when we, this is, I, I gotta get through this, but I feel like in the church, we, in American, especially American church, but I think in church in the West, the Western church, Westernized church, this is Europe and all over. What happens is that we have claimed this cheap grace that's not transformative, that doesn't change your life, that doesn't affect you. And so now we have all of these Christians who are stuck in addiction. And because what we have done psychologically, we have said addiction, addiction is no longer of your fault. It's something you're stuck in. Right? It's done to you. It is not something you're walking in. It's something that's done to you. And so now we have Christians who are stuck in the addictions of sin. And we say, I'm saved by grace. I'm transformed, but I've got addictions. You know what the Bible calls that? Walking in sin. And I feel like somebody needs to hear this this morning, guys. We have words for this to get around it, to say, oh, I'm just addicted. I'm a Christian saved by grace, transformed by the Spirit, but I'm addicted to pornography. That, you know what that means in the Bible? It means that you're walking in pornography. And the Bible says there is no inheritance in the kingdom of God for those who walk in sin, who walk in sexual immorality, not who commit. I'm not talking about falling. We all fall short of the glory of God. And he who, who says he has no sin is a liar and makes, him, makes Jesus a liar. But he who has says sin and confesses his sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Yes and amen, right? Amen. But the gospel, the Bible says that the church, the Christian, is now a slave to the righteousness of God. We are to walk in purity. You're a new person. And now we've created this kind of di dichotomy where you, you, we come in the church and you're still stuck in your addiction, still walking according to the flesh. And we have small groups and accountability groups and you're walking with people and, 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 and you, you, somebody's calling you and saying, hey, are you doing okay now? You're part of this accountability group. We're walking with you. And then all of a sudden your accountability partner stops calling you. And what happens when your accountability partner stops calling you? You go right back to the mud. It's like this. If I, if I take a pig and I throw him, we got this big bag bath trough, it's feeding trough, it's, it's, it's appropriate. And I clean off a pig and we have a mud pit over there. Guess what? I could get all my men around me and we're going to stop the pig from getting in the mud. We're going to set up accountability. You know what? We're going to set up a gate. I'm going to call the pig every day. Hey, don't get in the mud. Don't do it. It's not, don't, it's not worth it. 
It's not worth it. What happens when we let the gate down? We let our guard down. We go for a walk. What's the pig going to do? But you, 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 it's your fault. You, you took down my gate. You took down my account. You never called me. No, because you're still a pig. And a pig is going to go back to the mud. A dog, my dog, you know what it does? It literally will take a dirty diaper and it eats the dirty diaper. When it throws up the dirty diaper, it eats the throw up of the dirty diaper. A dog, as Peter says, will return to its vomit. A pig will return to the slop, the mud. Guys, the nature has not been changed. Paul says, when you know your identity, you have been changed, redeemed, and transformed in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is dead. You do not walk in sin anymore. That is not you. Addiction is just a name that we claim over something. It's not you anymore. Jesus breaks the chains of addiction. Amen. Somebody needed to hear that. So, well, that's, that's harsh, David. You know, I've been addicted and I've been to this and pornography. I've been addicted to this. And, and you're saying, basically, I'm walking in my flesh. I'm walking in the Bible says that there's no salvation in that because I've never been changed. Yes, I am. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. There's no condemnation when you're in Christ. And Christ never doesn't say these things. The Bible doesn't say these things to keep you down. The Bible says these things so that you may know where the true hope is. You may know where the true life is. You can look at your life and say, man, I need to get, I need to come back and get on my knees. I need to get on my knees and I need to knock and I need to knock and I need to knock at the feet of the cross. And until I'm going to knock, I'm going to be like one of those people that says, Jesus says, he kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And finally he said, fine, get in here. You're going to bug me that much. Get in here. I'm going to knock at the door of Jesus until my life is changed. Until I am a new creation. And then he says, walk in harmony. And that's where we moved into the home. That's where we moved into the parents and the children. We moved into the husbands and wives. We moved into our workplaces. And then now we move into spiritual warfare. Now, look at the pattern. Sit in your calling. Walk your calling, now stand against the enemy. So sit, walk, stand. We're going to see over and over again, stand, stand, stand. Stand, therefore, against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, stand, right? Verse 14, stand, therefore. Paul repeatedly over and over, over again, stand. Now listen, before we jump into this section, you've got to know this is not going to happen unless the first two happen. Unless you're sitting in your calling, you're not going to walk out your calling. And if you're not walking out your calling and walking according to your calling, you're not going to get into spiritual warfare. And if you're not sitting in your calling, you could try to walk out the calling and live out the, the, the laws of God, right? Which is what's called self-righteous religion. That's religion. You've never been transformed. You've never been renewed. You've never been redeemed. But now I'm going to live according to the religion of Christianity. Guess what Satan's going to do when he sees you living out the religion of Christianity? Go for it, it, monkey. Dance. (laughs) Come on, sing. Sing louder. Glory to God. Sing it. Okay. Oh, yeah, I saw that sin. You better go back and fix that. He doesn't care. Satan loves religion because religion keeps people busy, distracted, But when you know who you are, and you are walking according to your calling, and you're changed, you transform nature, all of a sudden, Satan's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, now you're messing me up. All right, now you're messing with things. 
All right, so we're going to be looking at this idea of stand against the enemy. Uh, Charles Edmund says it this way. He says, in this warfare, the spiritual warfare, there is no discharge. The demand is for courage, for determination, and for ceaseless vigilance. Now, for anybody in this room who's ever been in the military, I have uh, some good friends that have been in Iraq and Iran and, and, and been on the front lines. I've had family members who have done have been in the military. And what you learn when you're talking to them, especially when they're in the battle, is there is no rest. You don't rest. You don't sit there and, okay, we're, we're good. I can just relax now. You know, when you're on the battlefield, you're sleeping with one eye open. Every noise, like, you know, you're, you're, you're on edge. You're thinking. You're vigilant. You're thinking. So what the Bible is talking about, now we're going to be walking in vigilance. We're going to be walking, standing against the vials. We cannot let our guard down. We need to be people who are vigilant, standing firm, knowing that Satan is on the attack. And in any given moment, he is trying to devour you and lead you astray. And so now question is, how do we stand? The first thing and the major thing we're going to be focused on this morning, like I said, this is just kind of the beginning of this section. Next two weeks, we're going to be hitting spiritual warfare hard. The first thing we need to know is who our enemy is. We need to know our enemy. You ask anybody who's been in the military, you know that the biggest thing that you got, you can never underestimate your enemy. You've got to know who that. Many armies have been destroyed. Many great nations have crumbled because they have gone against enemies and underestimated their power and their strength. We don't underestimate our enemy. Now, with that being said, we don't, as Christians, we don't need to be spending this crazy amount of time thinking about Satan and studying about Satan, looking at the devil. I mean, that's a lot of Christians do that. We've talked about this. A lot of Christians put all this willpower and energy into Satan and the devil more than they do Jesus and in in his will. They're like, oh, well, Satan, you know, Satan's really after me today. You know, I, I ate the, those donuts and it's the, it's the demons of donuts, right? He's really tempting me or, you know, I, I'm addicted to cigarettes. I got a demon in me. It's the demon of cigarettes. And it's a, you know, everything has a demon in it. Everything has a demon. You know, my car broke down. Satan, demons are after, you know, there's a demon in my exhaust pipe. David, can you pray for my car? No, I'll give you a number of mechanic. I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, like. But everything has a demon, foosball's the devil, you know, everything is the devil. But then the other side of that coin is that we can absolutely neglect all spirituality, all spiritual warfare, where everything is natural. You know, the Bible calls talks about demons being unclean. And so we see the unclean spirits in the world. We see depression and anxiety, depression of people trying to kill themselves and want to die. These kind of things that are taking over our culture, this major wave of anxiety and depression. We're like, oh, just there's a pill for that. And there's not even solving it. It's just numbing it. There's a pill to numb, right? The, you know, the, right now, Right now, and all that is going on in our world with the coronavirus and all the chaos and all the division in the politics, I talk to Christians and they're like, it's all going to be okay. It's just, it's just this little virus and it's just this. I'm like, how do you not see the demonic spirit behind all of this of lies and fear and deception and anger? There's a spiritual warfare, y'all. And so we can't just look at everything naturally, but we also can't look at everything as everything is Satan, right? Sometimes you just get stuck behind an old person in, at Walmart, okay? <laughs> Sometimes I get stuck behind y'all. Okay, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. I love you. You know how much I love you guys. Um, 
But we have three enemies in this world, guys. We have three enemies in this world. The first enemy is the world. The second enemy is the flesh. And the third enemy is who? Satan. The world talks about, the world is talking about the, not the world that God created, but it is the, the culture that Satan rules over. It's the prince of the power of this air, right? He has created this culture, this the world, the system, is, that's an enemy. Our flesh, not talking about, once again, God created the flesh, right? That's not an enemy, that's not wicked, but it's the nature, it's the sin nature in us. Now, here's the problem. Satan is the third enemy, but Satan doesn't have to work hard if you're living according to the flesh. Because if you're living according to the flesh, the flesh wants the world. It doesn't want God. So if you're living according to the flesh, you're going to just chase after the desires, the lust of the flesh, want to do everything your flesh wants to do. And Satan is like, okay. But that's why the Bible says don't live and walk according to the flesh. Walk according to the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the Sinful nature, the flesh. So now, all of a sudden, when you start walking in the spirit, you don't, you're not gratifying the flesh. Now Satan's like, okay, now I got to do something. Now I got to get you back focused on the flesh because right now you're focused on the good, the spirit, and now you're in the battle and you're not in the, you're not numb and distracted by the flesh. So we have three enemies, but our major one we're focused on is the devil. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what we know in the Bible is that Satan or the, or the devil has a personality. And Satan's job, the name devil means slanderer. His one job is to slander and accuse. Remember Job? What does Satan do? He goes up to, the, to, to God and he says, look at Job. He only loves you because you've given him everything. You've, you've given him all money and riches and wealth and livestock and kids and health, everything. He only loves you because of that. You take all of that away and he is going to curse you to your face. What happens? He takes it all away. He gives boils on Job. Job's sitting there naked on, on all of his rubble with boils all over his body. And he says, rather than cursing, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan is, it was slandering the name of Job, trying to slander him, trying to accuse him. Now I want to say this, Satan cannot accuse you as a believer. He can lie to you and get you to believe the lies. But when Satan goes to God and he says, look at Dawn, he's doing this, he's doing that. And God, God's like, wait, who? Dawn? See, I don't see Dawn. Don died. Don died when he, when he laid his life down for the sake of the cross, when he laid his life down at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus now covers him, clothes him in the righteousness of Christ, that when I see Don, I see the righteousness and the glory of Christ. So how can Satan accuse somebody who is covered in Christ? There's no authority. But has, he is the slander. He will, he will lie, cheat, and steal. But also, Satan can't possess. We've talked about these are little things we've talked about, but I feel like some people need to hear. He can't possess a believer. Okay? Satan, in order for him to possess you, you're saying that he has to overpower who? Jesus, the spirit who lives in you. When you have the Holy Spirit in your home, ain't nobody going to come in and kick him out. So for, for Satan to dwell in you and possess you, you're saying that he would take the Holy Spirit and kick the Holy Spirit out of you. Because the Holy Spirit ain't sharing the home with Satan. See, 
You can't be possessed. You can't be demonized. You can't be all these fancy words we try to use. You cannot be, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay? So, Satan has a personality. Satan is intelligent. 2 Corinthians 11. Satan has emotions. Revelation chapter 12. Satan has a will. Isaiah 14. Satan has personal pronouns. Job 1, Matthew 4. All throughout the Bible we see. And you know who, who gave just Satan a, a personality, who saw Satan as being a person more than anybody in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus spoke about Satan as a personality, as a personal being, more than I would think that Jesus. Satan was also created in Ezekiel chapter 28. So we need to know our enemy, okay? Satan was created. These are all important. On the day, talking about Lucifer, you were created. On the day you were created. He was created, named Lucifer, but he was also created as a what? An angel. Later on, the next verse, you were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stone. So Satan was created as an angel. This is important because a lot of doctrines, a lot of false cults have this as their foundation where they misunderstand who Jesus was and who Satan was. Satan, Lucifer, was created as an angel. A lot of people, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness, even, even the Islam, but mainly the Jehovah's Witness, they believe that there is this kind of weird dichotomy between Jesus and Satan. Mormons teach that Jesus and Satan were brothers, Right? And there's this power struggle between good and evil. They're both created angels. Jehovah's Witness teach that Jesus was Michael the archangel, another angel, just as Satan was angel. Created beings. So that's what they teach. The Bible teaches Jesus, Hebrews. Jesus was higher than the angels. That the angels actually worship. Jesus. Now listen, the Bible clearly teaches that no man, no being should be worshipped but who? God. And Hebrews says very clearly that the angels worship who? Jesus. As who? God. And so now we see this battle. It's not even a battle. We see Jesus as already being victorious at the cross and the resurrection. Satan is a created angel underneath the feet of Jesus. There's not this power. There's not this battle. There's not going to be who's going to win. Oh, but the Bible says there's going to be a battle of Armageddon and Satan and his army and all these people. Jesus is going to come. You know, in the battle of Armageddon, he is going to speak. He's not even going to raise his sword because out of his mouth comes the sword and the sword is the word of God. He wins. He won. Satan is a creature. He's not eternal. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. Listen, if Satan's in Las Vegas, he ain't here. If Satan's in my house, he ain't your house. Right? There's only one Satan. He's not omnipresent. He ain't going everywhere. You know, like, so if, if Satan's attacking me, he's not attacking you in line at Walmart. Like, it's, it's, now, with that being said, he has a legion of demons, right? The army of demons. That's why there's darkness all over the world. But when we talk about referring to the devil, the specific person of Satan, he can only be in one place at one time. Okay? Now, his real name is Lucifer. Lucifer means light bearer. Scholars believe that Lucifer was created as the lead worshiper. 
And so you have this amazing, this, this awesome angel, light bearer, the worshiper. He's worshiping God. He's leading worship in heaven. So why did he fall? You were perfect in all your ways, talking about Lucifer, from the day you were created, once again created, until iniquity was found in you. One of the greatest mysteries in the Bible was the origin, is the origin of sin. Where did sin come from? Now, we know what the first sin was, but we don't know where it came from. The first sin was what? Pride. Found in Lucifer. The Bible says pride comes before the fall. The Bible says that pride, God was going to humble the proud. See, pride is not one of those light sins. A lot of times in our, in our culture, we have this guy idea of pride being, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just pride, you know? I didn't murder nobody. I just am a little prideful, you know? You know, uh, yeah, and, and it's everywhere. It's honestly everywhere. Narcissist, okay? You know, oh, yeah, I've got a whole website and a whole social presence focused on me. It's just a little pride. Self, you know, we have words for it. Self-esteem, right? You know, uh, you know self-worth, self-love. Come on, guys. I've heard pastors say, this week, this week, I almost bursted out laughing. I can't remember where it was or what I was listening to, but it's, it would be funny if it wasn't sad because people believe it. But a pastor got up and said, you know why you don't love your neighbors? It's because you don't know how to love yourself. That would be funny if it weren't so destructive. Because people listen to that and they think, you're right. I don't love myself. Uh, that's been my problem since the beginning. I just don't love myself. I need to love myself when my pastor told me. You know, and, and I, I know this is true because I've been on Instagram, Satan pit of hell. I mean, really, just, but you get on the Instagram or social media and you get these people, my friends, not in this room, they get on there and they say stuff like this. I, I, you know what? I need to take a break. I need to take a break because I need to focus more on me. I've been loving too many people. I've been giving too much of myself, and I just need to take some time to love myself. And from now on, I'm just loving myself. Wait, you never, you weren't loving yourself before that? I'd hate to see what loving yourself looks like because ever since I've known you, you've been a narcissist. All you do is love yourself. All we do is love ourselves. All we can do. Your problem in loving other people is not that you don't love yourself. It's that you love yourself and you don't love other people. But, but I don't really, and I've said this before, I don't really like myself. I don't I think I'm ugly. I don't think I'm this. I mean, if you thought that, you would be okay with being ugly. If you were not prideful. The fact that you care that you're ugly tells me that you're prideful. Right? <laughs> Look at what the Bible says about Satan Lucifer. It says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Do you see that? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You see, you have, you have two options in your life. I will or thy will. Those are your two options. And I promise you, I will is following in the path of the enemy. And it's not a, it's not a small thing. 
I will is such a deadly statement. If you hear nothing else, hear this. We have to walk in thy will. Our life has to be surrendered to the will of God. You know, the, 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 the important, I was uh, studying again, I was refreshing on, on the church of Satan this week. Um, this, I, I stopped watching the news and this is the kind of stuff that I've replaced it with. Um, same <laughs> so yeah, it's the same thing, church of Satan or, you know, the news. Um, but what I realized, because somebody asked me uh, this week about it, and they're asking, why would people worship Satan, especially when they know Jesus is real and, and he's going to be victorious? Why would, they, why would they worship Satan? Who in their right mind would worship Satan? And there's a lot of people that would. Because Satan, in their belief, in the, the, the church of Satan, Satan offers us, he is the, he is the freer. He is the, the one that offers you what you want. He doesn't restrict you. You are the star, and you should live as the star. Not about a star, like a movie star, like a natural star, and do what a natural star does and burn brightly naturally. There's no restrictions on you. You should sleep with whomever you want. You should do with whatever, do whatever you want. You should live however you want. There's no restriction. And so Satan is seen as the good guy because he doesn't put the restrictions to restrain your flesh. He lets you live in utopia and harmony with your flesh to do whatever thy will is. And so if you want to sleep man with man, woman with woman, man with child, child, woman with beast, it doesn't matter. There's no restrictions. It's love. It's beautiful. Why do you think the farther we run from, from God in this culture, the more we sexualize we become? It's not a coincidence. And see, Jesus is the enemy because Jesus says, no, uh, 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 there's restrictions. And this, the restrictions aren't there to, to hold you down. The restrictions in the spirit, we know the spirit says the restrictions are there because this is actually life. All this other stuff is bringing you death. The enemy is lying to you. He's saying this is freedom. No, that's death. Jesus is saying, no, find life in me. Life is not found in sleeping in sexual immorality. Life is not found in these things in promiscuity. Life is not found in adultery and lust and pride. Life is found in me. And here's my biggest fear. A lot of Christians live as if they would rather have Satan as Lord over their life here on earth with Jesus as Lord of their eternity. We need Jesus as Lord for our eternity because we don't want to go to hell. But we'd rather have Satan as Lord of our life today because we want to do our own will. Who's Lord? Have you ever gone to the Bible and read the Bible and said, that's tough, I don't agree with that. Everything in me doesn't agree with that. The culture doesn't agree with that. It's hard for me to read that. But God says it, and I need to submit to it. And I don't like it. It goes against my nature, but I have to do it because God said it. You see, if you've never done that, and chances are, if, you, if every time you go to the Bible, you brush it away as cultural, like you say, well, you get to a place where you say, I don't like to do it. I'm just not going to do it, period. A lot of times, we as Christians are smarter than that. We don't just say, hey... I'm not going to do it because I know the Bible says it. I'm just not going to do it. No, what we do as Christians is we say, well, that was just back then. That was a cultural thing. It's a context thing. It's we, an interpretation thing. We just misinterpreted it. 
The Bible doesn't really mean wives submit to husbands. <laughs> Never. That's a back then thing. The Bible doesn't really mean husbands, right? You treat your wives as you would your own body and submit and die, be willing to die. The Bible would never say that. Jesus would never say that. Now, if you've never gone to the Bible and gone against your own desires, the chances are when you do submit to the Bible, you're not submitting to the Bible. You're still submitting to your own will. It's just that Jesus in those incidences agrees with you. Jesus says, don't murder. (laughs) Okay, I won't murder Jesus. Jesus says, don't commit adultery. Uh, I think that's cultural. I think I love, Jesus meant when when you don't love somebody, just don't sleep around. Don't have one night stands, but I love them. So Jesus must mean, uh, and I don't submit in certain places, but I submit in other places. No, you agree with Jesus in some places, but ultimately your submission is in your own will. Who is your Lord? Are we still wanting Jesus to be Lord of this life and our eternity, or do we want Satan as Lord of this life with Jesus as our eternity? Thy will be done, not my own. Satan fell, and he take a third of the angels. So why do we have demons? Because his tail drew this revelation. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. So a third of the angels fell with Satan. This is where we get demons, okay? Demons, they fell with, with Satan, Demons, we got to know about demons, and as we talked about, demons are wicked. Oftentimes in the Bible, they're referred to as um, unclean spirits, okay? The Bible refers to them as unclean spirits, meaning that they are sexual immorality, profanity, drugs, anger, pride, hatred, lying, lust, stealing, all of these things. This is the heart of demonic. The Bible says that Satan comes and the demons come like a roaring lion ready to devour anybody who gives him opportunity. To destroy anybody who gives them opportunity. So he's like a roaring lion ready to destroy. But also listen what what, what Paul says here. It says that in verse 11, he comes, we need to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. That word is schemes. So not only does he come as a lion, but it says Satan comes like 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 a serpent. He's crafty. I've said this before, but when Satan comes and attacks you, when Satan comes after you, Satan isn't coming with a pitchfork and, and, and horns on his head and saying, come here, follow me. You know, dressed in black and biting the heads off a bat and say, worship Satan. Like hopefully, like, eh, I don't think that's a good way. We could try something else. Like hopefully that's a warning sign. No, what Satan does is he comes as a beautiful angel of light and he says, hey, did God really say can you really trust the Bible? Because this was messed up. You know, the people have touched this. God is holy. And the Bible, it's, it's fallible. It's, 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 there's errors in it. Every religion, Islam. Why did Islam come? Muhammad came and Muhammad said, the Bible was wrong. The Quran is true. So everywhere the Bible disagrees with the Quran, uh, the Quran is true. The Bible was, was an error. Right? Charles Stays Russell comes on the scene. Charles Stays Russell says, the Bible is wrong. The watchtower is right. Jehovah's Witness, Brigham Young, Joseph Smith. The Bible is incorrect. The Bible is an error, right? That's the lie. So now we have to, it's the Mormon doctrines. It's the, it's the, the uh, what's their, 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 their um, Book of Mormon. Yeah, that's it. That's the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Book of Mormon. But it's that, that whisper. The Bible didn't really say, God didn't, God would never, God doesn't, the Bible doesn't say. Also, 
The Bible, there is, God would never send after anybody. God's love, he would never send anybody to hell. Hell doesn't exist. He sends even pastors, preachers coming along the scene. And it's beautiful. It sounds great because God is love, right? And God would never want to hurt you. God would never want to harm you. Hell doesn't exist. And so people like the name of Rob Bell comes on the scenes and writes a book named Love Win. Rob Bell was a guy that was influential on my age. I grew up watching Rob Bell. All my, the people at my age grew up watching Rob Bell. Rob comes on the scene and says, hey, hell does not exist because God is love. And Jesus would never send anybody to hell. And that's a beautiful doctrine that our flesh wants. See, Satan comes and speaks into our flesh. Satan comes and he speaks into this false religion. Satan comes and he gives our flesh what he wants. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, says, no, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. So you know what? The Bible says this. The Bible says that God, you know, women, we're called to nourish and cherish our own body and take care of our own body. And now they're saying that it's not your choice, that you can't take care of your own body, that it's your body, your choice. You should be able to take care of your body and do what you need to do to take care of your body. Man, people are interfering with you, and it's beautiful. The other night, I was kept up all night, literally all night long, and, and God kept saying the same thing over and over again. The battle is one. The, the lie that the enemy keeps spitting is he's convinced so many people, blinded so many people to believe that it's not life, that it is an organism or it's some sort of group of cells. And all night, all night long, God just, the Spirit kept saying that. I couldn't sleep. I don't know why. I'm like, God, what are you trying to? But the battlefield is Satan is saying, look, look, it's not life. It's your body, your choice. The Bible says it's you were made in the Imago Dei, right? It's your choice, your choice, your choice. And we start to believe this. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe, maybe it's right. Maybe, maybe it is. And Christians whether we believe it or not, or we, we might not believe it, but we don't want to jump in the fight. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to get into it. We don't want to share the gospel in the midst of it because maybe this is too complicated for us to understand. Maybe this is a bigger thing. Maybe this is between a God and a woman. Maybe this is between a body and a choice. And, and Satan has blinded the eyes in his schemes, in his wording, in his manipulation. He's come in as an angel of light to spit it and to lie. Sexual immorality, it's love. God loves all people and wants you to be happy. That's what Satan says. And what's love? What's, what, what is, who, who is being harmed between a man and a man loving each other? Who is being harmed between a woman and a woman? Who is being harmed between a man and a boy? I said this 10 years ago. I wasn't a pastor here then, but I was a pastor. I was, I was worship leading and I was preaching. I said this 10 years ago, and I actually had people say, David, you really believe this is where it's going ahead? It would never do this. And I said, this is where it's headed. I said, mark my words, it will get to a point where it will try, they will try and make it legal for a boy to be with a man. And they said, that never happen. It's happening right now. But it's love. And Jesus, if he cared much about it, if Jesus really cared about it, he would have said something. I know Paul says something about it. I know the Old Testament says something about it. But Jesus never says. So God wants you to be in love. It's that doctrine, that scheme. And it sounds loving and it sounds beautiful. There's a couple of things wrong with that, that argument. First of all, the Bible does talk about it. But let's just say we're red-letter Christians. First of all, you have to get past the fact that who is, who is God? Jesus, right? We all say Jesus is God, right? Eternal. Who wrote the Old Testament? God, right? So if Jesus is God, 
Well, did Jesus write the Old Testament? So Jesus said that homosexuality and bestiality and all these other things were sexually immoral, right? So Jesus did say it, but let's just say we don't believe the Old Testament is the Word of God. We only are red-letter Christians. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, when, it's, when Jesus says, For from the heart comes evil, murderous, adulterous thoughts, and sexually immoral. So he goes, adulterous, adultery, meaning sex outside of marriage, the, the heterosexual sex outside of marriage, and sexual immorality. Now listen. For you not to say Jesus is intending to mean this as, uh, as, as homosexuality, bestiality, all the sexuals, um, it's dishonest. It's really dishonest because Jesus is a Jew. Jesus only reads this, the Hebrew scriptures. His theology comes only from the Hebrew scriptures. His, he's all, it, the Bible says that he, in Luke, it says he's growing in stature and wisdom in the Hebrew scriptures. And so now Jesus is quoting from the Hebrew scriptures, saying, of talking about sexual immorality. It is dishonest for you to say that Jesus does not have in mind all that the Old Testament has in mind when it talks about sexual immorality. So Jesus does quote it. Jesus, Jesus does condemn it. But regardless, it is this lie from Satan. But it sounds beautiful. Critical race theory. It's, it's promised to promote racial equity, racial unity and love and justice. And in the foundation of you, if you do your history, and the foundation of it is all was designed to create division, anger, more racial discrimination, more racism. I preached this sermon when, when, when everything was going down with George Floyd and the, 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 the social justice movement. I saw right through it from the beginning was this social justice. Anytime you put a word around justice, it's not justice. Social justice, this was not about social justice. Black Lives Matter's website, it was all attack on Judeo-Christianity. It was all attack on the Christian doctrines, if you read the website. It was Satan coming in with the words of God, the, the language of God, justice, love, equality, peace. Here's God's language. And meanwhile, Satan is working the schemes of the devil to bring death and division and hatred and anger and vile. But there's love and justice up here because that was never. You see, the church, if they were doing their job, if the church was smart, if the church was living according to the Spirit, we would have saw right through that and realized there needs to be justice. Yes, there needs to be peace. Yes, there needs to be equality. There needs to be a healing of racism. All of these things need to happen. And the church and the gospel should have taken charge of that rather than jumping on suit with the schemes of the devil in this. Because Satan will take a word of God and rob it, use it, manipulate it, and the church will be no wiser and we'll jump on board because, of course, we all need and want justice. But that was not justice and it's not justice. The Bible says that we are in a war. We need to stand against the schemes of the devil. But listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says it this way, For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in, the, in an un, uh, unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of, of strongholds, sorry, we demolish arguments and high, or every high-minded thing that is rising up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Now listen, what he's saying is that we are to stand against the wild schemes of the devil, and that we're also to fight this battle. We're to fight. Christians, listen, it is time to stop being cowards. 
You know what the Bible says in Revelation? Guess who's not in heaven? The Bible says cowards. We are called to fight. We are called to stand strong. We are called to engage in this warfare. Now, but listen, what does Paul say? It says we don't fight with weapons of this world. And so what did Paul say is that we're supposed to fight, but here's what he says in verse 12. He says we wrestle, once again, wrestling, fighting language. We wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. You see, my problem is not with those who practice and those who follow CRT, critical race theory. My problem is not with Mormons. My problem is not with Jehovah's Witnesses. My problem is not with those who walk in sexual morality and practice sexual morality. My problem is not with those who push these doctrines and these theologies. My problem is not even with those who teach them. My problem is with the enemy and the schemes. My problem is not with those who promote critical race theory. My problem is with critical race theory. My problem is not those who promote homosexuality. My problem is with homosexuality. My problem is with the enemy and the schemes. It is a spirit. See, if we don't understand this flesh and blood thing, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and um, I had lunch, I had breakfast with, with an old friend of mine, and we haven't seen each other in six months, and we were talking about th- different things, but I was saying... I was talking about this idea that I feel like what happens is like we're all messengers. Like you're a messenger, you're an ambassador for Christ, right? And so when you're preaching Christ, people get mad at you. But we realize they're not mad at me, right? They're mad at who? Christ, right? Because I'm promoting Christ. That's what Paul says. You're not mad at me. Your, your enemy, your attacks are for Jesus. What happens now is those who are walking as pagans or unbelievers, they're preaching a message They're preaching the doctrines and the schemes of the devil, and they're speaking this. What we do, what do we do? We get mad at them, right? But we're really not mad at them. We're mad at who? The schemes. They're just the promoter. They're just the, what does Jesus say? You are speaking, not on my behalf. You are the children of who? The devil. Now, I would never, I wouldn't start the conversation with that. Like, I'm not mad at you because you're you're Satan's child. I wouldn't do that. Um, (laughs) But as believers, we know that, that when you're speaking the schemes of the devil, it's because you're the mouthpiece of your father. And that's what we got to remember that. We're not fighting this battle against flesh and blood. It is Jesus against the enemy. It's the doctrines and the, and the will of God versus the doctrines and the will of the enemy and the schemes. And that's the battle we're fighting. And if we don't remember that, if we don't acknowledge that, what's going to happen when you're talking to somebody is you're going to try to convert them. You're going to try to convince them. You're going to try to use weapons of the earth. You're going to try to use science and wisdom and uh, logic and reason. You know, I see this all the time, like Christian Republicans. I'm a Christian Republican, and I'm going to try to convert you Democrat. And they try to convert them to Republican. What happens if you win? What happens if you, what have you won them to? They're Republicans, so what now? What happens if you convince them that their, their doctrines are wrong? Okay, they, they, they're convinced. So what do we do? We fight with spiritual warfare. What are we fighting with? The Bible says you have one weapon. You have a bunch of armor, one weapon. It is the spirit and the sword, the word of God. We're promoting the gospel. We're pushing the truth of God. We're pushing the truth, the love of Jesus Christ in the blind, dark heart of the pagan world. 
who is blinded by the schemes of the lion that has been roaring and trying to devour anybody and everybody. There is a real enemy. There's a real enemy. And until we realize that we're fighting a spiritual warfare and we have the greatest weapon ever, and that is the word of God and the spirit of God who's going to operate through, we will always be getting mad at each other. We're adding to the division of the chaos of this world. I'm, gonna, you're, I'm sure all of us have fallen prey to this, most of us anyways, where you're getting mad at, oh, the maskers and the unmaskers and the vaxxers and the unvaxxers, and we're jumping involved in this. We're getting involved in, well, the left and the right and then this and the that, and we're getting involved in the battle of the flesh and it's exhausting i haven't seen my buddy in 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 six months and we're sitting there for breakfast and he's like man i I haven't seen we have so much to talk about so many cool things god's doing mighty things and here we are talking about the coronavirus because satan is using this to be a divisive all we want to talk about is this and this and this not promoting the kingdom of god not pushing jesus christ not talking about the gospel not fighting the spiritual war we just want to talk about a virus We're in a battle, and as we end, we need to remember this. This is how Paul begins this section, and we, if you learn nothing else, Paul says this in verse 10, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Your strength in this battle as you go out and you talking to people who have been devoured by the, the devil, who are being devoured, who are being blinded by the enemy, who are walking in the schemes of the enemy, who are believing and promoting as you're talking to people, know this, your only strength, your only hope in strength is not you. If you go out bucking your chest, thinking you're going to be somebody in the midst of this war, I feel bad for you. I'm closing my eyes. Because Satan is more powerful than you. He's an angel, created stronger than you. You have no strength in and of yourself. You have strength in Jesus Christ. There's an old proverb in Proverbs chapter 30. It says this, the rock badger are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. That's a rock badger. They have no defense mechanism. They have no way to defend themselves. They have no claws. They have no sharp teeth. They don't do anything. They're defenseless. They're weak. But here's the beautiful thing about the rock badger. They know it. They know they're weak. And so when an animal is coming after them, they don't stand and try to defend themselves and to win. They hide in the rocks. They hide themselves in the strength of the rocks. Why does David say this? David says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run into it and be saved. David says, Jesus, God, you are my rock. You are my tower. I hide in you. I have no strength in and of myself. You see all of the promises of God that you will walk in boldness and strength and be all come. The only way that those promises will be fulfilled as long as you stay in Jesus. As long as you hide in the rocks. When you step outside of that and you start being like the rock badger thinking you're going to be somebody, that promise is no, you, there's no strength for you. I was talking to somebody before, this, before the service, and I was talking about the will of God. The Proverbs is all about wisdom. The Bible says, as long as you walk in the wisdom, all the promises of wisdom are for you. The problem is, is when you walk outside of wisdom, there is no promise for you. 
I once heard it said like this. It's like when you're walking, like let's say we go to the, the uh, Amazon. I've always wanted to go to the Amazon. I think I could do well. But you go to the Amazon, you have a, a, a guide that is going to show you all the way. And he's going to look at you and say, I'll take care of you. I'll keep you. Keep you safe. I know what I'm doing. I've been here forever. I've guided so many people. Not, I haven't lost one. That promise is only as good as my willingness to stay with him and to listen to him. The moment I say, I've got a better way, and I'm going to go see what's over here and do it this way, I'm going to go see what that noise is, is the moment that his promise to me that he's going to take care of me, it becomes null and void. Because I've stepped out of his provision. I've stepped out of his protection. I've stepped out of his wisdom. I've stepped out of his knowledge. And now I'm trusting and walking in my own self. The moment that we step out of the wisdom of God, the trust of God, the provision of God, the promises of God, the moment we step out of the protection of God, the moment we step out of the rocks of God, the strength of God is the moment that the promises are null and void for you. You are now sitting as a rock badger against the wolf. So in this spiritual warfare, Every single morning, God, hide me in your rocks. I can't do it. When you're going into your home, your battle is not against your wife. It's not against your kids. If you're trying to be the godly father that you're supposed to be, trust me, I know. If you're trying to be a godly father the way you're supposed to be with your kids, in your own strength against that spirit. Look, there are some demons, and then there are some demons, and I think demons live in children. I mean, it's, you know, they, what they call them, vipers and diapers, man. They, they, they're wicked. <laughs> if you think you're going to be the godly man you're supposed to be stepping out in your own strength, in your own power, man, you're going to fall. If you think you're going to stand strong against the schemes of the devil as a good husband, if you, if you think that you're going to be able to walk and not have your, your guard up as a man trying to be faithful to your wife in this world without resting in the rocks of God, man, you are mistaken. You will fall. Wives, if you think you're going to be a wife, the godly woman that you're supposed to be by your own, in your own strength, you will fall. If you think you're going to go up there and convince somebody by wisdom that Jesus is the way, if you're going to think, go, go, uh, talk to a Jehovah's Witness or an atheist or a Mormon. I, I, that's my issue. I've done that many times because I feel like I'm smart so I can outwit you and I can outtalk you into believing into Jesus. So I could tell you all about science and the history of the Bible and try to apologetic you into it, like ninja you into faith. And I'm standing out there by myself without the provision of God because I'm not resting in the power of God. So if you learn nothing else, be a rock badger. <laughs> 